Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. We continue our conversation with agri consultant Matt Ryan, where we discuss practices dairy farmers have adopted in an effort to achieve technical excellence. To start, Matt, can you tell us about the evolution of the grazing season? Do you ever go back on farmers' journals in the 60, into the 60s and 70s, like Cork, for, like we hate admitting it, dairy farming in Cork were, were special. They were always ahead of the, on the, on the, head of the curve, you know. They were supposed to be making silage. J.B. Rowan was, when I was in 69, was talking, 67, was talking about making silage. But the guys in Cork, their fathers had made silage in the, in the mid-50s. So that'll tell you how far they were. So basically, um, there were some tremendous farmers in um, in Cork, and they were, you know, if you look at the journal, they were putting on nitrogen. Okay, it's a terrible, it, maybe it's a dirty word now, but they were putting on nitrogen maybe in a very early January to, to grow grass for early grass. So, um, yeah, so there was, we were, we were in a fairly good position in grassland management. Um, the, the, uh, on, on first Taluntish uh, set up in Moorpark in the, well, say in the early 70s, into the 90s, into the 60s, and it began to make a massive contribution, putting, bringing forward New Zealand practices, paddock fencing, roadways, water, and stuff like that. So those are the things that led to pretty good grassland management. But then, you know, we continued with that into the up into the late 80s. And at that stage, um, I suppose you're asking yourself where more to go. I went with a discussion group to my discussion group to, to New Zealand in 1993. It was mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, uh, I suppose I was never, never out of the country to see other people's work and it was mind blowing. So the biggest thing we came back with from there was extended grazing, um, the, the spring rotation planner, and believe, believe it or not, the Jersey cow or the crossbred took a long time for the Jersey cow to come into vogue. But in 1993, I spoke at a grassland in 19, uh, 1994, I think, down in Waterford, promoting the extended grazing. And I had a small little survey done among my group, uh, my discussion group. Half of them did extended grazing, half of them didn't. And I, I actually, in my own way, came up with a, with a an advantage of a nearly, nearly a pound in hours per day, which kind of kind of still holds good. But what we um, what extended grazing to me when I was a kid in East Limerick on a wet farm, uh, we were you know our cows were not going out into out grass until well into April and maybe even May sometimes. So to me, extended grazing was a lot more than getting cows out in February. It was getting cows out on your own farm one to two weeks ahead of where, where you are at present and keeping them out longer by one to two weeks. And uh, I, I, I never got tied up in knots over the 1st of February, even though that's the perception that came across, but it was each guy bringing himself forward. So that was, yeah, to me that was, and subsequently then, you know, we had measuring of grass, AgriNet did a fantastic job uh, on promoting grassland measurement and um, we were, and there were other groups. I eventually, when I was program manager, got Abigail Ryan on a program there in the 70s, in the, in the early 2000s, uh, or 2000s to, um, 
to encourage grassland measurement. And that has, thanks to German seeds, they helped to promote it. We were in trouble only for that. And yeah, it has continued on to pasture base today. So we have great data, great way of knowing when, when to put on nitrogen, when not to put on nitrogen, when to cut grass or do, they do things uh, that were so much off the cuff in the past, yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that, Matt, the, you know, turnout was April or May. And it's funny when you think about that because early spring grazing is is so commonplace now. And, you know, for me and my uh, time uh, farming, it's it's very much um, the cows get out as they calve. And, and for people on more challenging ground, that is maybe the middle of February, like they've clawed it back through March and, and now into the month of February. So everyone has benefited from um, early spring grazing. And as you say, that one pound um, of an advantage per day, I think at the moment that's two euro seventy uh, per cow per day, as grass 10 call it. Um, you know, I, I suppose another focus area that monumental improvements have been made is in terms of animal genetics and I suppose the um, the EVI and and the I suppose the support material that comes along with that on herd plus has has shown a steady um, improvement in in cow performance in that time. Um, can you tell us about the 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 bold statement of the protein three fifty that uh, competition that was um, that was um, released in the noughties? It was an endeavour. Or, you know, you're paid for um, kilograms of fat and kilograms of protein. And protein was particularly low uh, in Ireland, coming from a short, uh, dairy, dairy short horn cow, dinner British Frisian cow. And yeah, so basically it was an endeavor to, because protein is so, so, so important. So, um, yeah, so um, Brian Wickham came into, I think it was early 2000, 2001, two or three, I can't remember exactly. I was a program manager came into during that time. And um, yeah, I'd like to think that my team of dairy specialists were very much associated with its promotion. It has phenomenal to think. Sorry, in 1993, they were beginning to expand dairy into the South Island. And they were able to buy cows uh, from the North Island without ever seeing the cows. I thought, you know, like in our given our background, you would think this was lunacy. But because they had the figures and all the data on the cows, um, they were able to do that. So today, today, I'm, I run a small, I, you know, for my group of people, I don't charge any money. I let them, I buy that guys buy and sell cows themselves. But you could, today you could buy a cow uh, 90, 100 and 200 miles away from you without seeing them, the weighing or whatever, because you have all the figures there about them. And if you could get the weights, you had everything. That's all. It was. It's mind blowing to think you can do that. So the, just to go back on the protein three fifty, um, I have a lovely little chart of um, how do you risk manage um, volatility in milk price? You can argue you for before you could change co-ops very re- easily. Can't do it so easily now. You can argue all day with the co-op about it, that you're not getting paid your quantity, the, the right amount of milk, uh, right amount of money for your milk. But there's only really one way of doing it that you have control. And if you don't increase the predicted difference of fat and protein, you are at nothing. So, so my target presently is uh, 9% solids from um, 
per cow per year. Now we're a long way off that. Like, you know, that means 5% fat for the cows and 4% protein. And lo and behold, I have somebody that's going to beat that 9% this year. It's amazing. 4% fat for a 4% protein milk. Isn't it? Isn't it something else? And that guy is after getting um, very close to 60 cents a litre for milk in the recent past. So, so consequently, he's milking on this autumn. So, yeah, so basically what do we do? Uh, we were, we're, we're not, I do a thing and I say one group, I would always testify him as average. But I can tell you they're not bad grassland managers. The grassland managers came historically from the 70s. I guarantee that for you. Plenty of nitrogen. And then you eat it before it gets too strong. Any fool would know that. And um, so, yeah, so that the biggest thing was the genetics. And it's shocking to think today, uh, Emma Louise, that um, over 40% of um, replacements coming into the dairy herd in Ireland are from stock bulls. That is shocking. And when you think of the, the environmental benefit of the... Um, of the uh, based on EBI of each 10 euro, um, we, we should have a campaign to sort that out. But we went in a very solid campaign. The, the, the various um, AI stations uh, bought into Brian Wickham's proposed a bit of a row, and Brian Wickham was a tremendous man to pull that through. But um, yeah, so it's all, it's all down to uh, genetics as far as I'm concerned, because we were, we were never really, really bad at grassland management. I know we can tweak it and get. A little bit out of it, but uh, yeah, so genetics is it. And it's the thing that people should control at uh, control present. Um, I have a son who is six foot eight, and I'm five foot something, and my five foot eight, and nine or ten, and my wife is five foot nine or something. And you'd wonder where we got that fella. And I tell the story when anybody asks me how do we manage it. So I, it's, I say it's a thing called hybrid vigor. So when you mate the best to the best, you get a 20, 20% improvement in size and growth and stuff like that. And as Park have proven, the same goes for crossbreeding. Might be it's a bit of a problem, but we can overcome all the problems of the jersey with sex semen where we are now. Yeah, It's interesting, Matt, you, you talk about, um, you know, one of your farmers who's totally pushing the boundaries and has hit that 4% protein. Um, but as I say, from what I understand, when the Protein 350 competition was launched, it was, you know, it's something we'll, we'll never achieve. And, and as I see it now, the average farmer in the country, country is at 350. Um, and that, you know, there's obviously a range with that. But if there are some farmers uh, on the cusp of 4% protein, I suppose on the hybrid vigor, and you have mentioned it, you know, crossbreeding, something that you would observed in New Zealand in the early 90s, something that has been a real slow burner in Ireland, um, a, a really st- a steady s- small amount of farmers who continue to do so. Do you think um, the benefits that we have seen in genomics um, takes out the role of crossbreeding in the country? It probably it probably does in a way, although my own bias is it doesn't. But I really want to concentrate, you know, on people because you know I think it's close on eighty seven percent of the highest farmers or eighty five percent plus you know haven't gone down that route so I'm concentrated presently on um, that principle I'm after giving you mate the best to the best so there are British there are uh, black and white cows on your farm 
that have good uh, gen genetics for solids. And I'm, I'm after going through uh, 80 of my clients in the last two weeks, and I'm after compiling a list of 20 bulls that will bring you, 20 Frisian bulls, or black and white bulls, that will bring you to my target there. Of, um, my targets actually on predicted difference, uh, Emma Louise, are 0.27 for fat, percent for fat, and 0.17 for protein. And there are about 25 bulls from the list I saw on my clients used last year. It's phenomenal when you think of it, that have, uh, would improve, um, would improve uh, the percentage of fat and protein to near those targets. As well as uh, I'm sort of, I like a medium-sized cow, 540 to 560 kilos. And uh, that's, a, that's a maintenance figure on your, uh, on your EBI report of around 20-ish, give or take, up or down. So I have used that criteria, as well as, of course, I'm, I'm obsessed with uh, cow fertility. So those are a little aside, but you have to pick really good cows. Um, I mean, the science of farming, it, I love the concept of the science of farming. And the science of farming is being able to have time to pick your best cows uh, the groups I, a couple of groups I have involved in the last two nights, they have, they have set up a subcommittee to pick the bulls, the best Frisian bulls and the best Jersey bulls, you know, and if people don't want to use Jersey, that's fine. I'm not, I don't want to go into any argument on that, if, um, but I mean, because you can do it with selection on the Frisian. And, and Matt, the, the final uh, thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of the technical side of dairy farming is discussion groups. It's something that has cropped up throughout our conversation and uh, way back from when you, you talk about that um, kind of impromptu machinery discussion group in Leitrim in the early 70s. But um, talk us through, you know, you, you talk about working on establishing discussion groups at a wider scale in Ireland and, and, and how that came about. And, and, you know, was it a soft landing or was it difficult at the start? So I started in Leash in 1969, and it was actually on, on hindsight that I realised that I was in a discussion group in, in Monmelic. Uh, it was very, very mixed. I suppose there was a social, very big social element in it. Uh, there was the, um, dairy farmers, cattle farmers, uh, a pig farmer, and believe it or not, a man with horses. So, I mean, and I was, God, I was, I was really intimidated by it. But looking back, it was, it was a useful experience, and consequently, I went to Leeds from so then I did my master's and I mean, there was the Blackwater discussion group for a long time on the go and uh, in Fumai and uh, I um, came back from doing my master's and I mean, I was totally convinced of the merit of uh, farmers learning from each other and supporting each other. So in, I, I began to put together uh, my names in my area and uh, eventually I... I ended up with a Damer discussion group, which is cross, cross, cross border, three counties, which is it was a very, very, very big issue, I can tell you, in, uh, in the end of the 80s on that, on that point. But anyway, we got it done. So in 19, um, yeah, so basically uh, there are a lot of groups, uh, there are a number of groups that have developed during that few months there, a few years there. And then in 1993, I was made discussion group specialist and I travelled all over Ireland trying to promote it. And... Uh, I'm sure I antagonize some people and stuff like that, but it, it, I think it's, um, they are a phenomenal benefit to people. Uh, everybody seems to think it's all associated with technical knowledge, but I, I see discussion groups as 
the source of personal development. And I emphasize that personal development. I look at guys, I look at guys uh, from when they came into groups to going out, you know, you could look at very, very shy guys coming in and going out to be able to get on the committee of their local co-op or their farm organization and speak up, you know, so it's tremendous. It has been tremendous. Yeah. So. And for farmers who are listening today, Matt, who, you know, are members of discussion groups, maybe that shy member or, you know, maybe in the, in the group, but feel I could get more from this. How how do you think farmers could engage um, in their discussion group to get more benefit for themselves? What is really, really important is, you know, when a thing is gone, you know, I say, you know, most of the way, you know, we ask, how's it going? And uh, people say, oh, Jesus, so that's the same old thing all the time, you know? You have to, yeah, people have to be very careful of that comment. Like when a thing is gone, it's gone, you know, and you can't get it back. So there is, there are two or three, there as I see the trust development, there are a couple of elements in there. You're meeting people, you're chatting, you're looking at the countryside from a different viewpoint. You're taking a, like we did in service training when I was in Chagas, we give, we give a day of each month uh, the advice to train. Can you tell me why families don't go and give themselves one day a month to go for the, uh, some bit of training and updating for themselves. Because advisors are, they're, they're, because the research are ahead of the posse and they're, then there are some farmers also in different uh, streams and they're in contact with other things. And people share so much stuff in that. Like it's basically a sharing of knowledge. So the way to, the way I think that, you know, that I like the concept of buzz groups, you know, you divide the group up into, you know, for any task into small groups and, uh, you know, let the shy guy report from the small buzz group or the three guys that are there making suggestions. He can't be blamed for, for the suggestions coming from that little subgroup, even if they're radical, you know. It's fair to say, Matt, you have been a mentor to many farmers and those who have worked within the industry, um, me for one. Um, but, like, I mean, for your career who has mentored you along the way believe it or not <laughs> obviously my my parents had a bit of an influence uh, some of the, in the early stages um but i went working to carlo and a guy called kevin brennan he's from lockmore castellani is so ironic in the way lockmore after going to prison but i was very unsure of myself and about going to college and think i, I thought i wouldn't have been able to go but god he he said you should take it because 10 years previously, he had gone to come to the same crossroads in his life and didn't move. Nobody encouraged him. And he, Kevin Brennan, made, made, asked me to make that move. And unfortunately, he passed away there two years ago. So, but he was, he, that, that to me was my big turning point. Subsequently, I, um, I met great people along the way. Alex Sweeney was a tremendous guy in Leash. He was the CEO in Leash, and he gave us great, great freedom. Uh, because you're young and inexperienced, coming out of college with no knowledge, meeting great farmers, and so on. And um, one of his things was, you know, you, you know, everybody says you should learn to stand on your own two feet. And uh, but Alex's uh, comment was, you should learn to stand on one foot, because if you can't stand on one foot, you can't put on your welders at the back of the car. So it's, it's another little uh, reminder of how important to be yourself, to stand up for yourself and be confident in yourself, you know. So, yeah, the, the biggest change in subsequent change in my life was um, that I was 
confident enough as an advisor. I worked in your general area. And uh, but the biggest change entirely was in my life was um, being involved in the demo discussion group. God, I I was challenged out of my mind with very, very good farmers uh, to um, come up with ideas to stay in touch technically. And I re it was phenomenal. My development was phenomenal during that from 19, in the late 80s to in, well into 90s. Yeah. And that. so. I would say I've not to not to mention any other names, but uh, most of them were coming from the discussion group was phenomenal influence on myself. Uh, in case I don't get a chance, uh, I have a number of uh, people I mentor, but I want to congratulate uh, Hazel Costigan, who was uh, I had she used to come around with me on various trips. I, I gather recently she has got a PhD. Doctor Costigan sounds a great ring, and I think she has got a new offer of a job in Warpark. So I want to congratulate her. It's lovely for me and, um, um, you know, my son is involved in rugby and only for the mentoring he got from other people. I like to give back um, that sort of thing to people. And it's 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 flattering to be asked to, for your advice and your help and stuff like that. So, yeah, so all young people should seek out a mentor. Really, really, really important. Good family, stick with him. Yeah. And I think, uh, Matt, it's fair to say, like for people who are listening in today, you you would see it. Um, and I have seen it along the way too. farmers are so generous with their time. And if they can be of help to others, Matt, this has been a, a hugely enjoyable conversation. And it's um, it's phenomenal to think that, you know, where we are now has is so different to where we are not so long ago. And it was it was great to take that journey with you today. Thank you, Matt. Welcome, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast and my thanks to Matt Ryan for joining me on this week's show. We wish you all a happy new year and we look forward to you listening in to more Dairy Edge interviews in 2022. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.